This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, by now, guys, you know I love talking about old wrestling. What you might not know is it's not my real passion. My real passion is helping people save money. My real passion is getting families out of apartments and into houses. My real passion is getting people's finances aligned so they can retire on time. I hated going to Walmart and seeing the greeter being 80 years old. She should not be working. She should be home. Why is she still working? Because she still has a mortgage. I want to help avoid that for you. The other thing I want to help you with, let's make sure your kids don't get saddled with student loans. If you've got a student loan, why did you get one? Maybe because your parents still had a mortgage. I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being sincere. There's only so much money to go around. What I want to help you do is figure out where you are right now and where you want to be long-term. And I do it at SaveWithConrad.com. I've been doing mortgages for more than 20 years. And during all that time, we've helped tens of thousands of families change their life. I mean, routinely, we're helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month, but more importantly, get them out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments. But if you don't think it can happen for you, let me just tell you this. We are not the bank. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan on how to improve your credit, how to save a little bit of cash and how to get into that dream house. Maybe you're already in the house, but it would be nice if someday we could put a pool in the back or one day we want to upgrade to hardwood floors or remodel the kitchen or get a badass master bathroom. I can help you do all of that with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. Check it out. SaveWithConrad.com, NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And hey, y'all, don't take my word for it. Check us out. We've got an A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And as if that's not enough, go look at our reviews. Read them and weep, haters. ConradReviews.com. You'll see more than a thousand five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Find out how much money you can save. Take control of your life in 2023 by taking control of your finances. We're going to show you how to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, what are you paying on that? 14%, 28%, you know you can do better. With the mortgage though, you may not know this, the interest you pay is tax deductible. And we can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. So if you could get a lower monthly payment, pay your debt off faster, get a greater tax deduction at the end of the year. And right now, right after the holidays, skip your next two payments. Buddy, this is the biggest no brainer in the history of the world. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. Or hey man, shoot me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. Hey guys. It's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here, and I need to call a quick timeout, a brief timeout. 
because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley is Pod listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. The road to WrestleMania has begun, and in this ad-free show's exclusive, Tony and JR sit down to call the action from some of WrestleMania's biggest matches, including the end of The Undertaker's streak. Hard hitting war. I thought that that Taker kicked out. I was wrong. And maybe that's because of my prejudice that I wanted to see Taker win. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see 22 and 0 as well. But this is a historic moment. It really is in not only in WrestleMania history, but in all of pro wrestling, if you think about it. What does everybody want? How about a sit-down exclusive with Al Snow, who discusses a wide range of topics, including his dear friend, Jim Cornette. Jimmy knows and understands his gimmick. Uh, and he knows and understands what draws for him. And like any good worker, uh, Jimmy's going to capitalize on it. You know, and, and a lot of what you see is not Jim Cornette. It's, it's an aspect of Jim Cornette. And it's just an aspect that Jimmy's turned the volume up on, apparently, as the years went on, a lot. You know? <laughs> Ad-Free Show members recently sat shotgun alongside Kevin Nash for a live watch-along of his WWE Championship match against Shawn Michaels at In Your House 7. Catch the event now on demand. Bullet. A year of a year of brutal matches was too much for the big man. Too much for the big man's shoulders as he reached in. He reached those continually reached those shoulders into his pockets and came out empty from the amount of money that was paid him. That's just a small taste, a sampling, if you will, of what we have waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, four. See for yourself why ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now, right now, at adfreeshows.com. Get it. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce. Well, you know. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, are we going to get through it this time, Conrad? We'll see. We'll see how it goes. This is like the eighth time we've tried to just do the open, and we've had to stop and do it over again. It's like when they squeeze down from this big picture of me, and we go back to the two shot, and and it's and it's correct. That'll be a miracle. Oh my God. Behold, it's a miracle. So I'm not even going to talk about how I thought that the Randy Savage in the open was actually Randy Savage. Bruce Richard, yeah, because I'm just that damn good. And I said in the first of our 42 takes that we did before that there were two of them that I realized who the other one was being able to watch the open 19, how hundred thousand times uh, tonight. It was uh, the dusty was actually pretty good. I thought mm-hmm. you can yeah. dig it. How many times a day do you think you complain? Let's see. I'm awake and so that uh, carry the one thing and uh, it's just thirty hours. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, listen, we have nothing to complain about. We are going to be talking about a great topic today, celebrating the life and times of one Lanny Poffo. Going to do a special tribute show today, but before we do. 
Uh, I wanted to uh, bring two things to your attention that have happened over this last week. Uh, number one, somebody's having some fun on Twitter. There is a, uh, a fun parody account of, uh, gorilla monsoon and what a gorilla monsoon podcast might sound like super funny stuff and amazing what they can do with AI. Have you had a chance to see any of those? What'd you think? I have not, but uh, I could only imagine what Gorilla Monsoon would have done in the podcast world, given no limitations at all, because uh, Gino Morella was a damn, uh, he had quite the wit Gorilla did. So yeah, he would have been great. We'll be sure to uh, give a plug uh, in the details below so you can check out uh, the creators of that fun little uh, gimmick that they're doing. And of course, check out a few of those. We'll tweet them out as well. Just super fun to see. Uh, people playing with this new technology and having fun and listen, more great news. Super fun to see that after a big scare, Jerry, the King Lawler is still with us. Boy, it was, uh, pretty touch and go there. It sounds like if, I mean, I don't know Jerry like that, so I don't know all the details, but what we read online is he was in a pretty tough spot and now it feels kill like the king, man. We're headed in the Can't right kill direction, the king, man. Can't even keep him down for too long either. So uh, unfortunately, um, suffering medical emergency this week, and it was it was quite touching. But go on Monday, but man, King in typical King fashion dropped that strap and is making a hell of a comeback. So more power to him, and, and get well soon, Jerry. Because I know that you're sitting there, and you're listening to this now because you you have to. You do have to, and uh, you have to pay homage and respect. To the late, great Lanny Poffo. He was born Lanny Mark Poffo, December 28th, 1954 in Calgary. Of course, his parents were Angelo and Judy Poffo. His older brother was Randy Poffo. You may have heard of him. The macho man, Randy Savage. Uh, of course, Angelo was a professional wrestler and a promoter. And after a naval career during World War II, he, uh, while he's in that stint, I guess, uh, in the Navy, he set a world record for the most sit-ups. Is that right? Four hours and 10 minutes. And it was like, that's correct. Yeah. 6,033 or something crazy like that. He's still, man, they still have, if you go to Ripley's, believe it or not, you'll see the little gimmick for Angelo Poffo doing the most sit-ups. So I, I think his record still holds true. And last time that I was at the one in Florida, in Orlando, uh, it was, it was up there. So pretty cool. It's amazing. Uh, Angelo starts wrestling in 1948. Uh, when do you, as a, as a wrestling fan growing up in Texas, when do you first remember hearing about or seeing photos or live, maybe even Angelo Poffo? So, uh, I remember as a kid, we had a tag team that came into Texas that was Chris Markoff and Bronco Lubitsch, and they were managed by George Harris, George Two-Ton Harris. And then I saw pictures of Bronco with Angelo Poffo together. And I think I think Bronco either managed Poffo or Poffo managed him. It was something, that was the first time that I actually ever saw Angelo Poffo, and that was with Bronco Lubitsch. And I want to say they were in the Carolinas working, but uh, the lore in Paul's office, and I probably have it here somewhere. We also had the eight, we had like an eight by 10 
tribute to Angelo Poffo for the sit-ups with Ripley's Believe It or Not. And that was part, you know, when he got back to Paul's office where the good stuff was, you know, that was in the hallway on the way back there. That's super cool. And, and I'm curious as a guy growing up in Texas, how did you know what was happening in the Carolinas? Was that all through the magazines? Did Yeah. Magazines. That, that was it. And plus, you know, you had, uh, in the after mags, which is actually the Western mags, uh, the wrestler and inside wrestling, they had uh, a pen pal section and I would write to people in the pen pal section and go back and forth with, with fans all across the country, just talking about what was going on in their part of the country and kind of get their feedback and them to send you pictures, get them to send you programs. And I would do the same. So, you know, kind of trade programs and information of things going on all over the country. So there was a girl, uh, in Kentucky. There's a guy, I want to say like Charlotte or Raleigh, but I, I looked for, uh, I looked for the area where they were. I had uh, one in California in Los Angeles, had one in Minneapolis for the AWA, and then one in New York also. But really, man, it got to the point where you would just write and see who would write you back. Wow. Now, I, never, I never did get my picture, but it was it was cool. Little, it was like two pages, and they would have a picture, and then they'd have their bio and everything, and tell yep. who their favorite wrestler was. I sent in my picture with my favorite wrestler, Dory Funk Jr., who just turned 82, uh, last Friday, Taz and was in one of those, by the way, when Taz was a kid, I, he had his, his photo in there. How about that? There you go. See man, it was like, that's it's, it's a kid. You just wanted to find out what was going on elsewhere. Didn't have cable, didn't have the resources. Sure. So they'd have any internet. So you just had people that would write you back and then you would find fan clubs of certain wrestlers and like the Bobby Shane fan club. We were members of the Nick Bockwinkle fan club. Um, the Wahoo McDaniel fan club and things like that, that you would just try and join just to get any information about wrestling from elsewhere around the country. Did you keep in touch with any of those folks, those kids that you started riding back and forth with? Like, did you become friends and have a real life relationship with anybody? No, no. You know, it was again, when you would find those that would write back, you would kind of, uh, correspond back and forth. And then once they stop corresponding and everything, you just kind of drop off like we do in life just in general, but, uh, no, really didn't. And you, you would think that it would be an opportunity as I turn this off, uh, it would be an opportunity for people to come to Houston, come to Texas and come and see what we do there. And I always want, I always wanted to go, always want to go to New York. It just seems so fascinating. You see Bill after in the back with his little tape recorder doing interviews with the wrestlers and, and New York fascinated me. California was just, cause that's the only places they covered. Yeah. They covered the places where they had photographers, New York, blah, blah, man. New York was the center of the world. That's where the magazine was. So everything was, you know, the front pages were Madison square garden and, New York City, uh, they had pretty good coverage out in California. They had good coverage in, you know, like uh, Chicago or Minneapolis. That was probably Norman Kites are doing double duty somehow. But you, you just wherever they would, they would have photographers that would take pictures. They make up all the stories, had the same writers writing all the same shit. But um, yeah, that's that's what you did. Super cool, man. I love talking about the good old days. Uh, while Angelo is competing in wrestling, he's largely wrestling all over the Midwest and Canada. 
His wife, Judy, and his two sons, Randy and Lanny, are, of course, traveling with him. Well, that means the boys are going to bounce around school quite a bit, but they do wind up spending the majority of their time in Downers Grove, Illinois. And Mrs. Poffo, Lanny's mom, uh, remembered this quote, Randy would come home from school with his tie off to the side and his hair a mess. And I knew he'd been fighting. He wouldn't take anyone saying a bad word about his dad. If he'd lose a match, Lanny was calmer. He'd walk away, but not Randy that check out. You knew him as adults. That sound about right to you. That's about right. Yeah. That's definitely about right. I think once they got older, Randy kind of back away from the business and especially after his passing, I think Lanny became that one to step up. If you said anything bad about Randy, you know, Lanny was right there to defend him and get in your face. Let's talk about the difference of the two boys here. They're both going to play uh, basketball and football and wrestle in all the schools that they can. Randy though, goes on to be a bit of a baseball standout. He becomes a major league baseball prospect. He signed to a developmental contract with the St. Louis Cardinals organization, and he's assigned to play minor league baseball in Sarasota, Florida. Randy even makes the all-star team the first two years and then separates his shoulder in year three. Tries to make a few comebacks from that injury signed with the Reds organization in 74 and the White Sox farm team in 75, but ultimately gets released. His baseball career comes to a close. Lanny, on the other hand, though, was the more creative of the brothers. He played violin. He was practicing photography and he even developed a love for limerick writing. And for anyone who might not be familiar, a limerick is a humorous and often dirty poem of three long lines and two short lines. Uh, you got any good limericks? I know you've done some like my, uh, rehearsal dinner. I guess that was a song, but it's pretty close. Well, it was a song, man. It was, it wasn't like I didn't knew a girl from Nantucket if she didn't anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of limerick thing that those those ones I kind of know, you know, they always involve Nantucket. Yeah. 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 And there was Nantucket and there was, um, yeah, mainly Nantucket. <laughs> There's only a few things you could do with Nantucket. Well, See, that was, that was good. That's usually what she wants to do too. Uh, by early 74, Lanny has joined Angelo as a tag team partner in the family business. Lanny debuted that year for the all South wrestling Alliance based in Atlanta, Georgia. This, of course, at the time was a rival to Bill Watts Mid-South. He lost to Wayne Cohen, who we know later on goes on to become Dutch Mantel. How about that, man? That's kind of fun to think your uh, one of your first matches is against Dutch Mantel. I know they're both young cats at the time, but it is interesting to think because oftentimes when you hear, oh, my first match was with so-and-so, it's uh, not somebody that maybe we would recognize their name like Dutch Mantel. Or Wayne Cohen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, see, something like that. Well, you know, but but you, you look at it, and probably folks listening to this now and, and any of our younger listeners that would think, well, wait a minute, man, why'd they move around so much? And why, why did they go from place to place? Because nowadays somebody lives in one place and they fly to to every show, and that's where you live, man. Yes. But back in the day in the territory systems, man, you went where the money was. You went where you could get booked. So for Angelo and the family, man, Angelo was going wherever the money was. Angelo was going to where 
anybody would book him where he had an opportunity to make the most money. So load up the family, put the U-Haul on the back of the car and head to the next territory. So finding a place, you know, like Downers Grove to kind of settle down a little bit and spend some time where he could go and do other things. But, you know, Angelo was, um, Angelo was thrifty and, but also Angelo was a family man. Angelo wanted, you know, his family to have as normal of an existence in life as they possibly could while still existing and trying to be in the business. So that's not always the most, um, just not the easiest thing to do. Throughout 76 and 77, Lanny's going to wrestle for big time wrestling, NWA St. Louis and the NWA Western States territory in Amarillo. Of course, that is the funk territory, uh, coming from Houston. When was the first time you saw Lanny? First time I saw Lanny was when Lanny came through for Watts, uh, in mid South wrestling. So, um, that title, what's a Western, that's something NWA had with Crockett. That wasn't the real Western States title. Correct. Yeah. That's the old J- JCP what version. The hell? Yeah. So you're going to so tell me about the first time you saw Poffo? Yeah. Mid-South. Mid-South. When he came through and he, he was, uh, you know, Lanny at that time was best way to describe probably a journeyman. And coming through and working kind of middle of the car and everything. Um, wasn't a top guy. But, you know, he was a hell of a hand, a hell of a good worker, and had the, the Poffo pedigree, if you will. Mm. What does that mean, the Poffo pedigree? Um, the fact that he was a second-generation wrestler, he knew I, how to work. I got you. I, I didn't know if there was like a trademark, you know, like. No, no, okay. just coming from Angelo and, and his dad being a, a, a hand that everybody knew. Everybody knew Angelo. Good, bad, or indifferent, everybody knew Angelo. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What was the, uh, relationship between, um, the Paul Bosch territory and the funk territory? There really wasn't one, um, other than, you know, for, for Paul, Paul booked Houston singly, you know, it wasn't a part of a territory. It was part of Dallas territory, but it wasn't a territory in a booking office that ran more than one market. We just ran Houston. So Paul had relationships with talent not necessarily always booking offices because the majority of the talent came from the Dallas booking office, but the big stars, the superstar, Billy Graham's that would come in the Bachwinkles that would come in, you know, Wahoo later on that would come in um, Gino and, and guys like that. Moscris, those were relationships that Paul had specifically with those talent that he could call. Um, you know, he worked with Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, to book Andre. But you could sit with Andre, and Andre would take out his calendar, and you go, hey, boss, I've got a uh, you know a show on Friday, July 20th. And he would look, okay, I'm there, boss. Write it down. And that was all you had to do. Right. Yeah, you know, he, he would be there. You, wouldn't, you would have no other conversation with him 
at all. And Andre would be there. That's the way the business was done in those days. You'd call somebody and say, hey, man, I've got a show on such and such a date. Uh, can you make it? I'll be there. And you didn't have to worry about it from that point on. Guys, if, the, if you paid their trans, you didn't do their trans. They did their own trans. And then you reimbursed so them. They, yeah. They'd show up and go, here's my ticket. And you'd look at your portion of the ticket because a lot of times they would have, okay, I'm, I'm in St. Louis on Monday. I'm Chicago on Tuesday. I'm in L.A. on Wednesday. I'm in Dallas on Thursday. I'm in Houston on Friday. You would look at your portion of the ticket, Dallas to Houston, Houston to wherever the hell they're going, or you go get them in and get them out. So then the next promoter would do the same thing. Just take a look at your ticket. You paid your portion. You're paying one leg is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, we know that, uh, the, that's a big deal for the NWA champion. You know, he's a traveling champion. He's going to go to all the different territories. Mm -hmm. And this actually works in Lanny's favor in 1976. He has his first major televised singles match. He's going to challenge Terry Funk for the NWA world title at the, uh, wrestling at the chase program in KPLR studios and the chase park plaza in St. Louis on May 29th. This is a, a big time opportunity. This is a huge wrestling show with a very loyal audience. And you're in there with the NWA world champion. It's about as big as it gets here in the seventies. Is it not? Sure. Absolutely. Because St. Louis was St. Louis was the home of the NWA. That's where Sam Mushnick, who was the president of the NWA had his office. So Sam Mushnick ran St. Louis and Sam ran St. Louis, much like Paul did Houston. Sam just booked St. Louis. There was no territory to deal with. There was no, you know, didn't have to worry about Kansas City. That was a separate booking office. So to be on a Sam Mushnick card and to come in and do television with Sam, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal because that was kind of the, if Sam gets his eyes on you and he thinks that you have potential, he's going to call an Eddie Graham or he'll call Fritz or he'll call LaBelle and say, hey, got this kid think there might be some potential. Can you book them and give them some work and let me know how they progress. If they were really hot, like a, you know, like a Brody and, and bruiser and guys like that, that would come in all the time to St. Louis, Sam would bring them back once a month and, and bring them back into St. Louis to work and things of that nature. But being on St. Louis television and being on that St. Louis card that was a huge, huge deal. You used to say that as soon as you became the uh, Missouri champion, you know, next stop was the NWA championship. If, you know, there was buzz about you. Uh, have you been to the chase before? I have not. I've been to the Keel Auditorium there in St. Louis and uh, never, never went to the chase. In July of 76, Lanny moves over to Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and reforms the Poffos, but this time not with his father, Angelo, but with his brother, Randy, as his partner. And they're going to trade wins and losses with a number of teams that include names like Ronnie Garvin, Tony Atlas, Paul Jones, Dino Bravo, Red Bastine, and Larry Zabisco. In 76, Mid-Atlantic was very much a tag team territory. And, uh, the Poffos probably rub shoulders with a lot of big talent in that territory. No. Yeah. And, you know, again, that was another place 
the Carolinas that talent could go and look, man, uh, the, the trips weren't that bad. The money was good. And same thing. It was an NWA hotbed that all those guys communicated. So you could, you could work the Carolinas and you could go down and work Georgia for Jim Barnett and Eddie Graham and, and be in, be in the circuit, if you will. Uh, so it was definitely a hotbed in the who's who of wrestling. You go back and look at it, man, from, you know, Flair got his big break in Charlotte and the Carolinas were very good to Rick Flair, Greg Valentine, Roddy Piper, guys like that. Um, but there was a guy, uh, George Scott, who was, George was a hell of a worker. George was a big guy, um, hell of a worker, but not the most flamboyant guy in the world. Didn't have a whole lot of personality. He had a hell of a personality in real life. Okay. I mean, it was to, to talk to George, great guy, and would have you just doubled over in laughter when he's, he would be telling stories. Very personable guy. But in the ring, camera went on. George was just vanilla and a hell of a hand, but he had a great mind for the business. And in those days, in the 70s and the 80s, George was one of the premier bookers and idea men uh, in the business. He's one that was, you know, that Vince tapped when Vince first went national was George Scott. Hmm. Well, February of 77, Randy's going to leave Mid-Atlantic. So Lanny sticks around and begins another singles run. He even wrestles a short feud with Tully Blanchard and eventually earns his second NWA World Heavyweight title shot. This time it's against the world champion, Harley race. They go to a time limit draw doing a little Broadway action here. February 4th, 1978 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is, uh, it's quite a badge of honor a to get an opportunity to wrestle the world champion on TV at the chase, like he did against Terry Funk, but to go an hour with Harley, that was, uh, that was high cotton back then. Well, it was also kind of the way the NWA champion worked back then. (laughs) Whoever they came into the territory to work with, most times if it wasn't a major angle, they were going an hour Broadway. Sure. And for television time, a lot of the promoters love to put the champion on. Uh, We've got a world title match, you know, and it's going to go the whole hour of the show. Pretty easy programming as well. But to be able to do that and to be able to hang in there with a guy like Harley and, and, Better was a damn good match. Let's, uh, let's take a time out right here because I want to ask about the idea that Lanny is getting these world title shots and not Randy. Now, granted, this is, we'll call it 77. Is Lanny just, he's got more experience or Randy wasn't putting it, allowing himself to put in those positions. Why do you think Lanny got some of those opportunities perhaps that Randy did not? I think probably more than anything would be Lanny's personality. Okay. And Randy being able to to get along with people, especially at that young age, Randy was, was a little more volatile. I see. So, you know, if you have your choice of who do you want to deal with and who do you want to do business with, it would have been, well, I'll do business with Lanny. And Randy had not established himself as that big name star that you could count on yet. He wasn't there. He just had a reputation as being a hothead and, and Lanny never had that reputation. 
Lanny very much was making the most out of his time on the independence, uh, or I guess not even called the independence, the territories. I mean, this is way back when you could go to Portland and work against Roddy Piper, which Lanny did. And then eventually his family, I guess, become quote unquote outlaws with the ICW. Listen, some of us, uh, might not be familiar with the, uh, the phrase outlaw wrestling. Can you tell us what outlaw means at least to you? Well, outlaw wrestling was the promotion that would come up and run opposite. So if you're running Stanford, Connecticut, let's say, and somebody came in and started running shows in Stanford, Connecticut, there was usually a, an understanding that there were these invisible walls that people didn't cross and invisible lines and boundaries. So anybody coming in and running against the established promotion was considered an outlaw. Hence the name outlaw wrestling. Anybody that worked on those shows, they were considered outlaws, outlaw wrestlers. So the larger booking offices, a lot of times wouldn't book talent that had the reputation for being an outlaw and being, uh, Hey, uh, you know, this guy, Oh, this guy opened up. Can you believe that against Jim Barnett and in Georgia? Yeah, I, I wouldn't book them. They're trouble. So that was a lot of times reputation warranted or not. Um, I always laughed at, at the invisible boundaries and things. This is America, you know, it's, it's a free country. So there's free trade. You can pretty much do whatever the hell you want. Um, but these promoters would get so mad. How, how dare someone give me competition and think that they owned the town and, you look at the Fullers and how many times the Fullers sold, you know, Alabama, the territory. Right. Um, and then the guy would run it into the ground and go broke. And then they'd go back and open up the territory only to sell it again to another guy coming by with the right amount of money. So those, you know, those days, you know, have thankfully gone. But it was if you came in against them, then you were an outlaw. Right. And the fact that. Randy, they were establishing going up against the traditional, the Tennessee territory, if you will, that had run Kentucky and places like that. And Chattanooga on, on the that side of uh, Tennessee and just it, it. Yeah, they they ruffled a lot of feather, feathers, if you will. I'm tongue tied today. Talk to me about uh, the way those guys would would sort of control the talent. I've heard that oftentimes if you would work for say an outlaw promotion, like ICW, that some of the other promoters, they might blackball you from not only working in their territory, but maybe even try to get you blackballed from the rest of the NWA. Did you hear stories like that? Well, again, it would be simply if someone was working in outlaw territory against an established promoter and they're trying to get work elsewhere and they're going, Hey, you know, I'd like to come in and work for you. You're going to call. It's like, well, wherever you work, kid. Yeah. Well, work Tennessee and everything. So you're going to call Jarrett. Hey, how is this kid? Ah, fuck him. No, man. He was running against us. He's trouble. Mm. You don't want to work with him. No, man. They're, you know, not a good worker and, and, uh, you can't depend on, can't depend on them. Things like that. So you would get a reputation and you would get, uh, but there was, look, man, there was always work. There was always somebody that was going to book you. Right. There was a guy, Ron Starr who did a big expose in the seventies 
and everybody was talking about like, oh my God, this, this Ron star. So help me God. If he ever shows up anywhere, you know, he's dead. He's a dead man walking. And it was a, it was an article. I forget what newspaper it was in, but it made its way around, you know, to everybody. And Ron Starr was one of these guys that was untouchable. You don't want to book Ron Starr. This guy exposed the business. Can you believe that? And Ron laid low for a while. Ron worked some uh, independents or outlaws, if you will. But eventually, and Mike LaBelle started booking him because he needed talent. Ron was good talent. Um, and Ron worked around. So there was always somebody that was going to book you. There's always somebody you're going to find work somewhere. But if you did do an outlaw promotion, if you did work for opposition against one of the larger booking offices, then word got around pretty quick because all those guys talked. Right. Well, eventually over the course of the six years that the ICW exists, Lanny and Randy become their two biggest stars, which I guess makes sense. It's the family business. Uh, just like the hey, your kids story. aren't going to leave you. Correct. Well, at least you hope yeah. <laughs> for the most part, you know, man, your kids aren't, your kids aren't going to leave you and you put family in that position. You're not worried about your main event showing up. Right. And or screwing you and double crossing you. So the family was tight. And it also meant that, you know, the lion's share of the house and the gate. The all to the family. Share, yeah. All went to the family. And you're building up guys that you know aren't going to just up and leave. Well, we know that uh, along the way, Lanny and Randy become quite the match. And this is long before the world knows what we know now. Uh, but I've heard other people say that, man, if you met both guys especially in that era, you might not even know they were related. Their personalities were so different. Would you agree with that? If you met them 15 years or 20 years ago, you wouldn't know that. Right. Um, if you didn't know, you didn't know because they were about as opposite polar opposites as you could possibly be. Yeah. It was, you know, Lanny, Lanny was always a smile on his face and pretty mellow and easy going. And, uh, Randy was a little bit more intense. Okay. A lot more intense. But it was also from the just the fact that Randy was a headliner in later years and Lanny wasn't. Right. It was you, you just didn't see the personality in Lanny that you saw in Randy. Randy was over the top and larger than life. And Lanny was content being the poet laureate. You know, it's like uh, they were different, very different. Well, we know that. Um they're going to get their big break when eventually Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler actually reach out to them and, and, and we're going to have an opportunity to work together. And they were sort of the rival promotion for the continental wrestling association. Uh, the ICW eventually folds in 84. And uh, when that happens, Randy just goes and works for the CWA. And of course they, turn all of this into a storyline, you know, the, maybe one of the very first invasion angles. What'd you think of that? I'm sure you read about it in the magazines or you've talked to Lawler or Randy about it over the years, the CWA and ICW finally coming together. Well, in, you know, look in that territory, <coughs> pardon me, uh, in that territory where they knew the audience knew that there were 
two different television shows in the market and they would watch both of them. If you're a big wrestling fan, the fact that the macho man, Randy Savage has shown up on Memphis, Tennessee television, man, that was, that was big time because there was something inside of you that told you that he wasn't supposed to be there. There was that feeling of uneasiness that, Hey, this is different than everything else that's going on. This guy shouldn't be here right now. And that was Randy being able to do what was probably the first iterations of the shoot promo, you know, where Randy would call out Lawler and Jarrett and things like that, that it was, it was uneasy and fans of the product knew, wait a minute, that guy's on the other show where they, they always badmouth Lawler in a way that I've never heard anybody badmouth my guy, Jerry Lawler like that before. Right. Now he's in Lawler's backyard. He's in his home. And it was a holy shit moment. Yeah, it is. And Randy, you know, Randy was the star. Randy, Randy was the whole the, the star of that thing. It really was. Well, we know before the uh, the promotion folds, ICW, Lanny does a few shots for Bill Weiss over in the Mid South Territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, he debuted on the October twelfth episode of Mid South Wrestling TV. Picked up a win over Art Cruz, and once ICW, uh, his father's promotion, goes under. Lanny goes to Mid-South full-time and he's going to work there throughout 1984 as both a single and a tag performer. Uh, he had, you know, matches and, and runs alongside Magnum TA, Iceman King Parsons and Rick Rude, R-O-O-D, before he was R-U-D-E, years before he was ravishing, I guess I could say. Um, they even feud, Lanny teams up with Rick Rude to feud with the Midnight Express, which at the time was Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry. Uh, this is stuff that is happening in your backyard. I mean, they're even wrestling in the Sam Houston Coliseum. Did you go to some of those matches? You think? Yeah, it was mid South, man. Yeah, that was, that was Watts. That was Watts business. Watts was a partner in Houston. So that was the first time that I actually met Lanny, uh, coming through for bill. And it was during the time that Watts had worked out an arrangement with Memphis with Jerry Jarrett and taking some of the talent that Jerry was finishing up and didn't have anything for, didn't know what to do with, Rock and Roll Express or uh, Cornette and Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry and Bill Dundee and guys like that. So, yeah, this was the, the first time that I met Lanny and just he, he'd come through and was kind of middle of the card and uh, just a super nice guy. Just What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What was your role at the time? I was running Houston. Were you really in 84, 83 and 84, you were running it? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, Hey, you know what? If you go back in our archives, there's this, uh, Houston wrestling episode that we did Houston wrestling episode. I talk all about that. Well, I'm not arguing that. I just, it seems like that would have happened in like 86, not 84, but I believe you. No. How old were you in 80, 83 and 84? 83 and 84, 20, 21. That's amazing. 20. Yeah. 
21 and 21 year old with influence in the office. How about that? Well, I just ran the office. Yeah. Same time. Yeah. You didn't have to run anything past Paul. You're 20, just booking whatever. No, I wasn't booking whatever. Watts was booking whatever. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I just ran the, uh, I was booked to call all the finishes. Yeah, at 20. Why not? Yeah. So listen, after Lanny and Rude break up, uh, Lanny keeps on challenging the Midnight Express. He has a series of partners against him, uh, sort of uh, a, a list of, of renegades, if you will. Joe Savoldi. Jose Martinez, Brian Adidas. Jumping Joel Savoldi. Angelo Savoldi, son, man. Yeah. Old Jumping Joe. Another uh, second generation. Well, really third generation, I guess. He even does some intergender tag matches long before that's super popular. He's going to team with Princess Victoria against Buddy Landell and a future WWF women's champion, Wendy Richter. He has a couple of uh, quick shots over in Texas. Uh, oh, you laughing at Wendy Richter? You got something on that? No, I, I just I'm I'm laughing at Buddy Landell actually, and and the uh, yeah that this was right before Wendy uh, went to New York, right? So Wendy had been um, has a nice way to say it. Um, you know, Wendy was she's a, a large person, um, tall, big frame, and everything, and. Wendy had dropped a lot of weight at this time and looked like, wow, a completely different person when she did this run. And then that, I think, is what kind of opened everyone's eyes in New York to say, hey, here's a young, really attractive young lady that can work. Um, she was country, man. She was she was country. She had that southern accent. But, man, she she could go, and there was something about her that just made her – made her special yeah. and it, before she was kind of like um just another she was like terrible to say but she was just like the 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 women wrestlers that you grew up with that you know fabulous moolah that just felt older than they really were felt out of shape and wendy now comes in man she had gotten herself in great shape and was young and just had a had a special look about her and a fire that the women wrestlers of yesteryear did not have. Right. You know, they went through the motions. They were an attraction. And they only came through uh, four times a year, maybe. You'd get to see women wrestling in your area. And it would always be, you know, on the, on the side of the advertisement, you know, uh, girls and midgets. Right. And that was like, you know, the two lines that this is, this is a special night because, you know, you've got women wrestling. So it had changed, man, that was, that was where the change started to happen. And that's where she really got noticed because she had got herself in tremendous shape. After uh, two shots for Paul Bosch's promotion, losing to uh, Barry Orton and uh, Gina Hernandez, he's going to join his brother, Randy in Memphis for the CWA. Lanny and Randy would compete as a team there and feud with the rock and roll express and the Gilberts, Eddie and Tommy. They also compete every now and again against Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Valiant and the Poffo's tag success leads them to chase the fabulous ones for the AWA tag team titles or the Southern tag team titles. And, um, they do that through March and April of 85, but they come up short each time. And then about halfway through 85, 
they get the opportunity to come to the WWF. Um, this is a time in 85 when Vince is really trying to swallow up some of the smaller territories and expand his footprint and go national. Uh, he's trying to pick up some of their TV slots. Um, from your perspective, and I know we're talking about with the benefit of hindsight now, but at the time, let's call it 85 before you're there in 87, would you have considered it controversial to go work for Vince McMahon? No. Oh God, no. Okay. No, it, it was, I, I think that there were, so for example, if Vince was coming in to your area and doing better than you were, then it was frowned upon. But I think that most of the promoters, at least, you know, 84, 85, oh, he's going to try this. We're just going to kill him, you know, or he has no chance whatsoever. He be Vince whatsoever of coming into my market and actually being able to promote successfully. And everyone concentrated on beating Vince instead of taking care of their own product in their, in their own markets. And that's where Vince capitalized because everybody, he was, he was worried about his business. He wasn't worried about what they were doing. Didn't care, but they were worried about what he was doing. Right. And that was their downfall. So to, a, to the talent in particular, man, Vince, that was the golden ticket. Cause guy, they heard about the, the money these guys were making and it was, you know, you're traveling all over the country. You're, you're getting booked, you're getting booked and they're making money. So those are, those are two things that are music to the years of talent. In addition to that, like you don't have to move around from territory to territory. You can stay put. You like Florida, go live in Florida and they'll fly you around to wherever, you know, you've got a family, you can put them in one place keep the kids in school, whatever you want to do. You have a home base to come back to and you don't have to worry about in six months, you know, moving halfway across the country just to have a job. So that was the lure. It was, that was the golden ticket. Oh my gosh, man. I, I, I got to New York. And again, it wasn't for everybody. There right. wasn't, uh, not all the talent wanted to do that. A lot of them liked, man, I'm, I'm happy working in the mid South. I'm happy working in Texas. I'm, happy working in Portland. I'm, I'm, I'm good in, in the Carolinas. So it, it was, but again, if you, if you made it to New York and you made it in New York, right. Then by God, you know, that was, you can make it there. You can make it anywhere. It's up to you. New York, New York. Yeah, I can't. It was close. Hey, it's the, it's yeah, a for effort, really, yeah. a for yeah. effort. I can do Steven Tyler, but yeah. no, let's not. Lanny debuts in the big time, the WWF June 17th in a big way. He teams with former heavyweight champion, Pedro Morales to defeat Barry O and J a Rizzo. It's uh, that week's edition of WWF championship wrestling taped at the mid Hudson civic center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Then he goes on to have a series of television and house show singles wins over Mr. X, who is Danny Davis under a hood, Rene Goulet and Moondog Spot. He goes undefeated for about a month or so, and then unfortunately settles into a bit of an enhancement role. 
throughout the end of 85, he's going to be working with and doing the favor for Terry Funk and Bob Orton and Iron Mike Sharp and Adrian Adonis and Bret Hart and Nikolai Volkoff and Don Morocco and Brutus Beefcake and King Kong Bundy and Hercules Hernandez. You had met Lanny when he came through Houston. Now you see him on WWF TV. What'd you think? I mean, you know, again, Lanny was what we would call a solid hand. You know, he was a good worker, but didn't have a, a bigger than larger than life personality that you would go out of your way that you want to see work. It was, again, his, his work was, his work was good. He, he could do everything. He was there for everything you wanted him to be there for, but it just didn't, man, it didn't necessarily connect with the audience in that big way where I'm going to go and, and pay money to see him on a weekly basis or whatever. But, you know, watching him in New York, hey, he had a role and he had a steady job. The Poffos, of course, never officially reunite in the WWF. Randy Savage is going to lean into a new persona that maybe he always had in his back pocket, but the macho man becomes a huge star. Meanwhile, Lanny is going to become leaping Lanny. His offense is pretty innovative, especially for the time. Uh, he's got an aerial attack that includes moves that are Pretty big deal for 1985 moonsaults, backflips, senton bombs. Uh, and then he even introduces poetry as part of his character. And he would actually write. Let's, let's, let's read this here on here. The world wrestling federation has. What the fuck has caused a culture shock in every phase of our society from classical to rock in triumphant jubilation. Every social class is one with a single common interest just to have a little fun. I've seen the rapture in the eyes of the fans of every nation. You made us what we are today. The world wrestling federation. That was my best Lanny Poffo. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you Leaping know, Lanny Poffo. Yes. Uh, based on all the stories I've heard this week, I guess the original idea was he saw someone doing something similar and decided, Hey, Frisbees are popular. I'll do Frisbees. And he would actually hand write something. And then of course, WWE being WWE made it into merch. How about that? Absolutely. And every day and every time he would, he would write the poem, the poem would be in the Frisbee and then Lanny would sign it yes. and then he would throw the, the Frisbee out to the audience. So every poem that you heard from Lanny, Lanny wrote. And they were all different every night. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Also pretty cool. Back there, You know, like, like, Guys sit back there and go over their matches. Lady would sit back there and go over his poem, writing it, rewriting it, scratching it out. Dedicated. I, uh, I'm not saying anyone is ever going to credit Lanny Poffo with creating the moonsault. He himself says he saw it uh, on a tape from Japan, but he, he could do it. So I think a lot of wrestling fans saw Lanny Poffo do the moonsault before anybody else. And I'm curious from your perspective, what'd you think of Lanny's moonsault and this hot new approach? I mean, this is 85 and we're doing backflips and moonsaults and senton bombs. 
Was this controversial to you or just the evolution of the business? Well, no, for me, because again, coming from Texas and seeing a lot of the uh, luchadors. Yes. You know, first time I saw it, man, Chavo Guerrero did it in, in the seventies and, and it was a moonsault, something. Yes. Moonsault in, in, in that style. So Lanny to do it as a heavyweight though, it's a big deal. that was unique. Yeah. And you know, Lanny was able to do a lot of things that a lot of other heavyweights wouldn't do, couldn't do. And hence the name leap and Lanny because he could leap and he was Lanny. You know, listen, I, I realize that now in hindsight, some of us might hear that and think that's kind of a lame gimmick, but for 85, man, having Frisbees was pretty cool. I yeah. mean, and, and being able to do that move, that's pretty cool. Now I understand nothing's as cool as the macho man, but you know, there's only one macho man. Dig it. Yeah. Uh-huh. On October freak 5th, out, freak out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. October 5th, 1985, there's a Saturday night's main event. Leaping Lanny is going to recite a poem at Unker, uh, Uncle Elmer's wedding. Unker, you want to uh, you want to hit us? I'll, with this I'll try one? and do this one then. Let's do it. On this auspicious occasion, a loving commitment for life. Joyce Statsko and Uncle Elmer are united as man and wife. Unselfishly, they share their love with every single wrestling fan who supported Uncle Elmer, a wonderful, big-hearted man. And we thank them for this moment so the multitudes may see the joy of the Holy Spirit through the family of NBC. I mean, really, I know that this is a little silly when we think about this, but everybody has established long ago, wrestling weddings are a, 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 a wrestling weddings are a ratings draw. And so to have one, not just on your syndicated show, but on freaking NBC and have everyone be quiet and listen to Lanny do his thing. This is a pretty big damn deal for Lanny. Is it not? It's NBC. Sure. Yeah. Well, this, this is, this is just like one of, one of uh, many big deals on NBC is we'll talk about a little bit later with Lanny that Lanny was, uh, you know, maybe the first, but by God, it wasn't the biggest and the best, but yeah, a big deal, man. You know, think about that for, for a guy like Lanny that is grown up in the business, moved all over the place. Now he's in this huge organization and he's appearing on network television in, in a featured role. That's pretty damn, that's fucking good shit. Yes. And, and as, as a, as a kid, you know, you're watching your dad who's larger than life. Now his dad is watching Randy and Lanny like, Oh my God, look at my, look at my kids. And just Angela was so proud of both of them, but you, you look at it through both lenses and that is, yes, it's amazing folks. I'm sorry to this, to this day, you, you think about how many people have had the opportunity to perform on, on television in general. Right. Nowadays with cable and, and every kind of trash reality show you can possibly think of, you know, more people have that opportunity, but you go back to 1985 Cable was just, you know, the cable boom had started and things like that. But to be on broadcast network television, man, that's a big deal. That's that's things that you just dream about. And a performer like Lanny is looking at it and going, oh, my God, 
you know, I, I, I made it. I'm in the big time. Right. I, you know, he, he could have terrible save due to his passing, but he could have probably could have passed the next night and been happy. You know, because that's a that's a hell of a moment at that point. It is a big moment. In early '86, we see the character evolve again. He's no longer just the uh, the gymnastic poet. He's also <laughs> going to start coming to the ring in full suits of armor. He did an interview in 2005 where he says it was theatrical armor that you would use if you were going to play Sir Lancelot and Camelot but it was not real armor. It cost me $1,800 and it was an idea I had of how to get over in this business. It worked to an extent, but it didn't set the world on fire, but at least I was trying. We see the look there. If you, if you haven't seen this, go to something to wrestle.com and see the video on YouTube, but Lanny in a full suit of armor. Listen, I appreciate that. The man is trying to do something. What'd you think of this? Loved it. It's a gimmick, man. It brings a gimmick to life. Yes. Now you're coming. How many guys? Okay. I want you to think about this for a second. How many guys do you know that you can say, Hey man, he wore suit of armor and he wore it well. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean, that's a damn shiny suit of armor. It's nice. Had the coat of arms and everything on the the front chest plate. That's good stuff. You know, I I know that you ain't uh, got no suit armor. I don't. And even if I did, my big ass wouldn't fit in it. You can get the big. Hey, now they had to have some big. It it would look like a busted can of biscuits. No, man. It would would be maybe like you're wearing a giant can of dog food or something, but still, nonetheless, they had to have big guys. They had to have armor that would fit us. Hey, let me ask. Get over my belly and stuff. If I zip this up, it could almost be like a suit of armor. Kind of. Go go take a look, folks. Something to wrestle.com. At, at this point in 1986, Lanny has proven to be pretty damn creative. As a reminder, he's doing a lot of these aerial things. He's, uh, he's, he's doing the rhymes. He's got the Frisbee. Now he's trying the suit of armor. If nothing else, the dude's brave enough to try new stuff and put himself out there. Dude, Lanny was, you know, one of those guys that personally I love to produce. Because Lanny was willing to laugh at himself. Lanny didn't take himself too seriously and was willing to try on anything, man. It's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's go. Let's have some fun. And would dive into it completely as we'll get into when we start talking about the, the genius gimmick. Because that was so much fun to do because you had a willing, you had a willing talent that just wanted to break. And now he's got his break and he's like, let's go. What, what, what can we do? What can we do to make this stand out and be different? And Lanny was willing to do that. So yeah, we're a suit armored the ring. Why not? Can you imagine carrying that around through airports and no. in your bag every night and have to get, <laughs> get out much less, put your gear on and get ready for a match. Now you're going to got to put your suit of armor on and get it off afterwards. Yeah. That's commitment. It is commitment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, the February 16th episode of Superstars would see Lanny team with the Can Am Connection, which is Rick Martell and Tom Zink, and they're going to beat Adrian Adonis and the Dream Team, which is Beefcake and Valentine. And during the match, Adonis accidentally cuts Beefcake's hair. That leads to Beefcake's face turn at WrestleMania 3. And of course, the barber gimmick that he'd become famous for. And then on Saturday night's main event, number 10, it aired on March 14th. It's about two weeks before WrestleMania 3. And a very bloody Lanny gets carried out of the ringside area after being headbutted by Andre the Giant during a battle royal. And this is really Andre's first televised match as a heel. And it's uh, all here to try to sell WrestleMania 3. So even though Lanny is not on WrestleMania 3, Boy, he was involved in some big angles that set that show up, was he not? Absolutely, man. I'm sure that Lanny was chosen for that spot because he would be able to sell it the correct way. Yes. Knew how to sell a giant and make the absolute most out of his portion. You know, he wasn't worried about, oh, hey, you know, what's my spot? But when I get my spot, I'm going to make people remember it. Yes. They, if I only get 10 seconds, It'll be a memorable 10 seconds. I'm going to do everything I can to the very best of my ability for these to be the greatest 10 seconds of the show. After you arrive in the WWF, cause you come in right after WrestleMania three, what was your first interaction with Lanny? Do you remember it? God, I, I remember, you know, Lanny was one of the few people, not few. I'd actually knew more than I thought going up there of, of talent. But Lanny was one of the guys that I had met in Mid-South that I at least knew that I could have a conversation with and not have to go up and go, hi, I'm Bruce Pritchard, and explain who the hell I am. So at least Lanny, I could, hey, Lanny, how you doing, man? Hey, good to see you. Yeah, Bruce Pritchard, Houston. Oh, yeah. Then you kind of yeah start putting two and two together, and you can actually have a conversation without having to give everybody your background and right. whole life story. Sure. Well, throughout uh, 1987 and 88, uh, Lanny's going to run through quite a list of opponents. He's going to pick up losses at the hands of Butch Reed, Ron Bass, Don Morocco, Danny Spivey, Bam Bam Bigelow, Bob Orton, Rick Rude, and the newly arrived Ted DiBiase. But he's not only losing matches. He'll pick up wins over guys like Barry Horowitz and Steve Lombardi and Frenchie Martin and Jose. Yeah, Estrada. Frenchie Martin, he's going to base. We almost never saw him on a WWF pay-per-view though. And meanwhile, in this era, his brother's career has really taken off. What was their real life relationship like during 87, 88, as best you could tell? I think it was a good relationship. You know, it was kind of a big brother, little brother relationship. And I think that there were, there were times that Randy wanted to help Lanny more, but he also knew he being Randy that he wasn't going to stick his neck out too far and under, you know, they kind of understood their roles. Randy, Randy was the macho man. Randy was, was the top guy. Randy was the one that they're going to do all this shit with. And I don't know. Lanny had been leaping Lanny in the poet laureate for so long. I don't know that Randy wanted to brush up against that. Yes. If you will, you know, that there were, never really any talks of, Hey, do we do the real life and 
tell everybody they're brothers or don't, but have them work against one another and do a program with them. And um, Randy was never really keen on that, but he always wanted to make sure that his brother was taken care of. Boy, I don't know another way to ask this. So I just want to ask, uh, the Randy Savage's character is the macho man. And at times it felt as if Lanny was trying to be overly flamboyant. Maybe that's the right word. Was that a concern? Do you think of Randy's? No, I don't think so. I think that there was a, you know, it was a character, you right. know, it was a gimmick and it was something that Lanny did well. And it was a character and a gimmick that people remembered. And again, you can put your finger on it and go, that's, that's who he is. That's what he is. Um, and yeah, Lanny, Lanny was, uh, was flamboyant and Lanny was good at what he did. He was colorful. And Randy was Randy. Randy was colorful. Who is that good looking guy holding the microphone? There's a picture on here, folks. Something Russell Dock. Most handsome son of a gun that I've ever laid eyes on, other than when, like, you know, I see the screen. Um, some guy with Randy Savage. Hey, so talk to me about. Um, you know, listen, I don't know another way to say this. A lot of times you see brothers in wrestling and one enjoys more success than the other. Um, mm-hmm. does that, as far as you've seen, does that lend itself to any sort of professional jealousy or rivalry at times? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it does. Um, I think that it's only natural, especially in this business where they're, you know, this isn't the biz- biggest business in the world. There, there's not this plethora of talent out there. And when you're chosen from the same batch and, and one excels and the other one doesn't, I'm sure that there probably is a, a bit of jealousy. But I can say this without hesitation is that I never, ever, ever experienced any jealous nature from Lanny towards Randy and or vice versa. Like I said, Randy looked after Lanny and wanted to make sure that Lanny was taken care of, but never really pushed for him a lot, pushed to protect him and make sure that, you know, he was okay. Didn't care about doing jobs or anything like that. That's just silly, you know, stupid stuff that people that don't understand the business get caught up in. And it just, yeah, they, I think for, brothers in the business coming up the way they had, they both appreciated what they had. They learned from a very early age because they went through hard times as a family moving all over the country and didn't always make a lot of money. So Angelo always stressed to manage your money. You know, Randy, you say it's not what you make, it's what you save. Right. And that was just bred into them that they they cherished everything that they did get and really appreciated it. But the brother rivalry, I never experienced it ever with either one of those guys toward the other in any way, shape or form. And, and it's, you know, they, they both look, man, they shared traits. I keep going back to the, they were thrifty, you know, um, Lanny would go to a restaurant. He would get his Coke with no ice because, the ice is going is to fill it up. I'm not going to get as much. 
Wow. Folks, this is before you got free refills at the right. at the thing. You had to pay for each one. Right. So, you know, they would I'm getting over on them because I'm not going to take their ice. I'm not going to let them give me a half half of a glass of whatever I'm getting with ice. Yeah. And that was that's the way he lived his life. But you know, that's the way he always lived his life, so it wasn't it wasn't strange to him. It wasn't, oh, my God, I'm living this weird life. No, he was just living life the way that he had been brought up as a child to appreciate everything that you have. Yes. Save what you make and make the most out of what you save. Well said. Well, we'd like to save you some money right now with a brand new offer from Manscaped. Something else that the Poffo brothers shaved. They knew how to damn take care of that facial hair. And now Manscaped can help you with that too. This is real. I'm talking about the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. That's right. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This is maybe my favorite of all. Because if you've had one of these before, you know that they're going to send you like 20 guards. And you essentially have like a junk drawer in your bathroom for all the different guards. Not here. Manscaped has one guard and it can get you 20 positions. How about that? Plus it's waterproof. So you can shave in the shower and avoid all that hair in the sink. And the blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face. And they've even got some dermatologist tested formulations for your post trim care. Check this out. Manscaped has beard shampoo and conditioner. Remember now the hair on your head is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. So you need a different set of shampoo and conditioner. They've also got beard oil, which is going to relieve both the dryness on the beard and the skin beneath even adds a little bit of shimmer and shine. And then beard balm going to help you shape style, moisturize, just give you that more sculpted look. And the pro beard kit also comes with three free gifts. You get a beard brush, a comb and scissors. And right now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code STW at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. When you use the code STW manscapes, beard hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 links manscaped.com. Be sure to use that promo code STW. Man, that's a good beat right there. You like that beat? Yeah, it's mellow, man. I could, I could rock it's with mellow. it. I think the genius. This kind of someone was got WKRP in Cincinnati did the midnight shift. There you go. Trap. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of shit Venus would be rocking out to, man. Well, have, it, the, fro, have the fro rocking. Things weren't so mellow in 1987. Uh, there's a pretty legendary riff now, I guess, between the Poffos and Vince McMahon. It all happens when there is a Legends Battle Royal booked for the Meadowlands Arena. As the story goes, Randy has explicitly asked that his father Angelo be invited. The Legends Battle Royal would include Luthez, The Crusher, Sailor Art Thomas, Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens. Kangaroo, Al Costello, Pat O'Connor, Rene Goulet, Gene Kaniski, Bobo Brazil, Dominic Danucci, Tony Gurria, Gene Kaniski, Killer Kowalski, Pedro Morales, Arnold Scotland, and Chief J. Strongbow, but not Angelo Poffo. 
And I guess the Poffos were pretty upset. Uh, Lanny, I believe has actually put the blame mostly on Pat Patterson, who was handling a lot of the booking at the time. And he says, quote, Pat Patterson did everything he could to undermine our family from day one. Don't ask me for the reason there is none. Some people just don't like you. Some people misuse their power. Pat had a lot of pull. Vince dealt with the macro decisions and the little stuff was left to Pat. Listen, you were there when all of this happened. What do you remember about the rift and the way the Poffos felt about their dad being excluded? Complete misunderstanding. And the Legends Battle Royal was something for the Meadowlands. Uh, the majority of those names were guys who had worked. I think all of them had worked for WWE at one point in their career. And it was, you know, one night, the special event of, of names. Angelo, I don't think, ever came up in the discussions as far as who to bring in. Whether Randy went to anybody or not, I have no, no knowledge of. I don't know. But uh, I'll tell you that that's how that battle royal came about. And then after the fact, when Randy was upset over it, Pat flew to Tampa. Pat got on a plane and flew to Tampa to meet Randy and goes, let's sit down and have a drink. And went into the bar, sat down and had a beer. And Randy told him, you know, I don't appreciate that you didn't have my dad there. You had everybody else there. You didn't have him there. And Randy felt disrespected. And Pat said, Randy, never in a million years would we disrespect you or your father. And it was just his name never came up. Right. You know, it wasn't something that we said, oh, hey, let's bring everybody but Angelo Poffo. Absolutely, positively not the case at all. And especially with Randy working there, I think that had his name come up, I do believe that, you know, something would have probably been done to say, okay, hey, you know what? If this means something to Randy and Randy would like to have his dad there, we put Angelo in a battle royal, please. Right. Uh, of course they would have. So um, from my vantage point, and I was, you know, on on this, actually I was kind of half-ass in the middle, but um, more on, on this side of things from the perspective of booking the show and looking at, an event for one night in the Meadowlands. Um, I don't know that Angela's name ever came up, and I don't know if Randy ever brought that to Pat. Definitely Randy brought it up after the fact. Yeah. And when Pat heard that, Pat wanted to see Randy face-to-face and talk to him about it rather than pick up the phone, you know, and have a have a phone call. It's like, no, I'm going to, you know, you know, punch me, punch me. But Pat flew to Florida to confront Randy, say, please, Randy, you know, there was no animosity at all that I've ever heard of with Angelo, with, with Vince, Pat, or anybody. Never. So that's just, yeah, that's just complete misunderstanding and, and simply not true that, that Pat did that maliciously in any way. Did Randy uh, accept the apology and the gesture of Pat coming all the yeah. way down. Okay. Yeah. Randy definitely did again. You know, Pat took the effort to jump on a plane and come down and fly to Tampa to, to see him and talk to him. So that in and of itself, you know, tells you something right there, but you, <laughs> I mean, think of how silly 
that that sounds. You know, they booked they booked this thing and purposely left this guy out. Doesn't you know, make sense. I agree. You know, there are a lot of guys that old timers that weren't in the that battle royal. Thousands. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, listen, let's talk about this. Lanny did not enjoy a lot of in-ring success in 87 and 88, but he does have some interesting ideas outside of the ring. In 1988, he publishes a collection of limerick poetry called Wrestling with Rhyme by Lanny Poffo. Take a look at that book over at somethingtowrestle.com. I got the uh, old graphic up there. It's really a rare collectible these days. You can spend up to 400 bucks if you find one these days. Uh, and this is long before there's really like a, a rash of wrestling books that we have through publishing houses like Harper Collins. Do you, uh, do you remember the WWF having a hand in helping Lanny get this book published or is this something he did all yeah. on his own? Yeah. Something he wanted to do and it was a nice novelty item and why not? Didn't really cost anything that time. You know, majority of my believe were either sold at, at venues and, uh, I really don't know how else. I don't know. There was a big distribution for it, but we definitely did sell it uh, at venues. The uh, poem on the back of the book is the same one we saw in the Frisbee too, by the way. You want me to read it again now that I can actually read it? Sure, go ahead. The World Wrestling Federation has caused a culture shock in every phase of our society from classical to rock. In triumphant jubilation, our social class is one with a single common interest, just to have a little fun. I've seen the rapture in the eyes of fans from every nation. You made us what we are today. World Wrestling Federation. We know that uh, the genius, oh, I love that pose. You folks go see this for yourself. Something to wrestle.com. Goodness gracious. Damn clouds. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I saw people Photoshop you yelling at the cloud last week. They've already put you on the newspaper. Well, it's fast. Dude, the clouds around here, when you get up here, you'll understand. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to being there. I mean, yeah, not, not being there a month from now. Right. Uh, Lanny reinvents himself in the spring of 89 and, um, he's going to call himself the genius. He debuts the character April 22nd at the Boston garden. And unlike leaping Lanny, a baby face with aerial moves and heartfelt poetry and antics that might outwit his opponent. The genius is an obnoxious know-it-all that uses his intelligence and poetry to mock opponents and put down the fans. And this is when he really adopts the more effeminate mannerism and exaggerated gestures. He's looking for heat. He's trying to ch check all the boxes here. Is he not? Yeah. But see, here's the thing. It's, it's one of those situations where when you're, you're in the moment, you lose sight of what's really happening around you. Lanny with the poems, think about it, man. You're sitting there in the audience. This guy's reading poetry at a place where you want to see some action. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And he's reading poetry to me. Really? Yes. Ah, screw this guy. And tapped into that. It's like, you know, the feeling you get when you hear someone reading a poem like I just did feels like they're talking down to you. Because I can make words rhyme. I can do it anytime. 
It's like, see what I did there? That's good. Right off the top of my head. Um, but when you have that feeling, you can't really articulate a lot of times why I don't like them. Right. You just know you don't. You know you don't like them, and you don't like them because they're giving off an air that they're better than you. Right. Because they can rhyme in time. Make him the genius. Make him better than everybody else. Make people understand why they are inferior to him. And if somebody calls themselves a genius, automatically you want to hate them. What makes you smarter than me? What makes you a genius? Because I thin back in, I was a genius then, baby. It's like sitting here thinking, and then all of a sudden the lightning bolt comes out the sky. Boom! And all of a sudden I got this, this idea. It just comes forth. There's a dream right there on my wall. What the hell? You know, sometimes I amaze myself. <laughs> I look around the office and go, oh, yeah, okay, there's me and Bobby. Okay. Sorry, I digress. Yeah, I have these moments sometimes. It's a senior moment. Did yeah. uh, did Lanny come up with the genius idea, or is this something out of the old box of gimmicks? You know, I, I want to say that it was kind of a collaboration. I want to say that Vince and Pat came up with it, and, and then we kind of tweaked it from there and made it a little larger in life, if you will. Played with it some. The whole idea of dressing in a graduation cap and gown, I think his his dad actually did that once back in the seventies, right? I believe so. Yeah. So it's, it, even so, that's an homage to his dad. Yeah, and, and Professor Boris Maximilianovich Malenko used to wear a cap and gown as well. Yeah. National national gimmick there, Connie. National gimmick there. You know, cap and gown means you're you know graduated. Whether it's college or high school, everybody graduates sometime. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying there, I, I got you. If I had a hat cowboy hat on right now, I'd be. Well, we I'd can get you one. Cowboy. I'll have you one. I got I got one. I got a nice one from JBL's wedding in the closet. Uh, the genius starts a winning streak, not only on the house shows, but on TV. He's even going to pick up uh, wins over Jim Powers and Paul Roma. That goes from like April to August. And then he suffers his first loss at the hands of Coco Beware. At a house show in Memphis, of course, that's Coco's old territory. They're going to trade wins and losses through November. And then the genius appears in his very first main event title match. It's the November 5th edition of Saturday night's main event. I guess this would have been Saturday night's main event number 24. And it's Hulk Hogan defending his title against the genius. But the match is really just a way to have a backdrop for the building rivalry between Hulk Hogan and Mr. Perfect. And the genius had just started partnering with Mr. Perfect a little bit off and on halfway into the match. Mr. Perfect comes to ringside and sticks chewing gum on the belt. And the distraction leads to Hogan being counted out. And that allows the genius to pick up a victory. That's right. The genius beat Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event. And, uh, of course this is a real shocking angle here because genius and Mr. Perfect have stolen the title and then they're going to destroy it on live TV. And this is the first time Hogan has lost on TV since the old screw job lost to Andre the giant in February of 88 Hulk Hogan losing on TV. Not all that common, even if it was a DQ, but nobody was talking about that after they're all talking about the destruction of the belt. This is a big time, all time angle here. Is it not? Yeah, it was awesome. And Hulk doubted, you know, the the validity of the gimmick of the genius. And Vince said when he's selling out 
and beating you on top, you're going to have a different feeling. And he did right there in Kansas. It's either Topeka or Wichita that that was, but yeah, it sold out. Genius versus Hulk Hogan. That's amazing. The genius won. Genius beat Hulk Hogan. It's right there on NBC's Saturday night's main event, man. And that was, you know, one of those moments. That was a big moment for, for Lanny again, because you didn't get victories over Hulk. Right. Sure as hell didn't get victories over Hulk on TV. On NBC. On NBC. It's a big deal. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Destroying the belt. What do you remember of that day? Um, <laughs> uh, internally, I remember thinking that I was going to laugh my ass off if perfect hit that thing with the hammer and it didn't bust the way that we thought it would. should or would. Yeah. Um, you know, and you didn't, it was a different time. You didn't have a props guy or yes. somebody else that, yes. that would go and do this thing. So I'm going to hit this and it's going to do this. Um, so I'm laughing going because I'm taking the hammer and I'm hitting it going. I'm going to have to hit this thing pretty hard, man, to, to break it. Let's let's hope it, it actually breaks the way that we envisioned it would. And thank God it did. But, yeah. That was that was my recollection because I, I'm laughing because nothing Kurt did is Mr. Perfect the first time ever worked. Right. And so I'm I'm hoping that he's got like, you're gonna have to break that belt somehow, glue it back together so he hits it. But no, he got it, man. He whacked the shit out of it. Well, I'll tell you what, he must have had his AG1 that morning. I know you and I start every single day with that. Every morning. And you should too. I, uh, I gotta tell you, man, I started taking AG1 at the very beginning of the pandemic and my wife wanted to optimize our immune system. So that's what we did. And now it's part of my regular routine. Really seriously. Taking AG1 is a daily habit now. I felt improved digestion. My wife says it's better for running. It's like a comprehensive health and power of habit all in one. AG one is great for recovery and my wife takes hers before she works out. I just do mine to get my day started, right? It's going to empower the whole body and gut health. It inspires my wife to work harder in the gym. And it's so much more than just like a greens powder. It really is all of your key health products in one. And you see all great athletes like Mr. Perfect have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. And that's why so many of our guys here on the podcast network are big fans of AG1. You're setting yourself up for success when you start your day with 75 high quality ingredients that are going to give you key daily nutrients and long-term gut health support. You can even go ahead 
and plan on making this a regular part of your day because it's easy. I got travel packets, but if you're like me and you just got the tub at home, it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Think of it as like your all in win, all in one nutritional insurance. It's a comprehensive solution that you need from your supplement routine. Athletic greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash wrestle. That's athleticgreens.com slash wrestle. Check it out. So listen, man, this Saturday night's main event is a big deal. You know, pretty memorable angle with the belt, getting a win over Hulk Hogan. Is this maybe the peak of his career? Do you think just the most high profile? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and again, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the, the genius being paired up with Mr. Perfect, you know, you're looking for a way to emphasize the genius, but you're also, you know, no, yeah, there are limitations in the ring that people may not take him seriously because he hasn't been dominant in the past, but yet we know that he can get heat and we went out and, Oh my God, uh, did vignettes with Mr. Perfect and the genius and new perfect vignettes and Lanny reaching down and putting the ball on the tee, looking adoringly up at Mr. Perfect and watching Mr. Perfect dive and, and, Oh, just, you talk about a fun two days with those two. Holy cow. Um, we had a blast shooting them, but but that's where I say Lanny Poffo was the ultimate true professional that whatever you asked him to do, he would do it better. Right. And, you know, go full bore. So, all right, yeah, let's go, man. I'm going to be the second uh, Mr. Perfect. And I'm going to be the best damn second he's ever going to have. And he was. Well, he's got one more big hit coming on Saturday night's main event. It's another famous angle. This is Saturday night's main event 25 from January of 1990. He's going to team up with Mr. Perfect to take on Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior. Of course, they're trying to set up their big match at WrestleMania six. And, uh, during this period, we don't really see the genius and Randy Savage work together on TV, except for once September of 89, Randy defeats Jim Duggan to become the king of the WWF. And during the Macho Man's coronation, Lanny would honor his brother with a poem. You want to read this one too? Behold this humble entourage, forever bowed and reverent, at the very slightest whisper of one name, exalting in his splendor, which is altogether fitting of the people in the land for whence he came. False monarchs are commonplace, and kingdoms rise and fall. But I, the genius of glory and renown, Say the Macho Man is everything, everybody, every, oh, God damn. Say the Macho Man is everything, everybody, everywhere. Would ever, ever want to wear a crown. I say this king deserves a queen beside him on the throne. And Sherry is the fairest in the land. Nobody else is worthy of this monumental honor and the regal splendor of his royal hand. We witnessed the dethroning of one hacksaw. Jim Duggan, whose crown and robe are in a state of ravage. I now remove my mortar board and place it near my heart 
and thus proclaim you Macho King Randy Savage. That's pretty good, man. Feel my heart beating. Ravage and Savage. My man could rhyme. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. I wrote that one. Did you really? No, I didn't. So, I, say, I thought you said earlier he wrote them all, you fucking liar. He did write them all. Uh, listen, this is brain. pretty cool little oh, note to, to think that uh, it's a big moment in Randy's career to become the king. I mean, it's it's a new version of this character. And when he gets it kicked off, there his brother is right beside him on TV. He's also going to make his first pay-per-view. Did get anybody else but him to do this? <laughs> well, him to Lord Littlebrook. He was good when he did it. The little fellow, he won't. Scroll. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> he finally makes his first pay-per-view. The 1990 Royal Rumble. Beefcake is going to start cutting the genius's hair after the match, and that prompts Mr. Perfect to interfere. And the uh, barber and Perfect go on to battle at WrestleMania six on April first, of course, in Toronto at the Sky Dome. Perfect loses, and the genius has even more of his hair cut off. And now here uh, was a time Randy was hot. I was going to ask about it. Dave Meltzer wrote on social media, I believe that, uh, Randy was very upset that Lanny got his hair cut and he didn't know about it. Uh, tell us what happened here. Why was Randy upset? Well, Lanny did know about it. He definitely knew about it, but the issue was how much that beefcake cut off. I see. So, Randy didn't know that Lanny knew. And I think Lanny didn't know how much Beefcake was going to cut, which was always, you know, hit or miss with Beefcake. You know, you, you didn't look, you know, uh, when he cut my hair, yeah, you know, unless you looked real close, you really couldn't tell my hair was cut. Um, but with Lanny, he took, you know, a big clump off. And I think there was a feeling of, of, you know, beefcake kind of taking advantage of Lanny and, you know, he gave him his, you know, you give people your, your body in the ring, you trust them and you give now you're giving them your hair and you're trusting he's not going to butcher you. And that, that Randy was a little upset about that. I'm not asking but this to be, didn't, Randy, you know, wasn't a big fan of beefcake anyway. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. I, I wondered, was this an issue that he had with beefcake or did Randy know, Hey, uh, beefcake is sort of Hulk Hogan's riding partner. If there was such a thing, his quote unquote brother, brother, uh, did he think there was some, some Hogan stuff afoot? We've always heard that Randy was paranoid. No. Okay. No, I, I think it was, I think it was more of uh, taking advantage and the fact that the guy that Randy felt was taking advantage was somebody he didn't really care for. So to cover up the, didn't take uh, a lot. The, the bad haircut and to sort of sell the haircut that Brutus Beefcake gave him. The genius starts wearing absurd wigs and uh, he even wrestles with collegiate headgear on. Uh, You're welcome. In order to keep that on, which by the way, we would see Kurt and others do later, but genius is doing it here. And it sounds like that was one of your genius ideas. Yes, it was. There you go. And I stole it. I stole it from Gino Hernandez. Because when Gino got his head shaved, he came back with the mask with hair sewn into the mask. I love that. Yeah. One of the greatest things I ever saw. And to this day, I haven't ever seen anybody do it properly with the mask and the hair and all that shit. I want a cornet to do it. Damn, stupid. 
the uh, end of the geniuses program with beefcake and Mr. Perfect's new allegiance or alliance rather with Bobby Heenan means Poffo is back to working with Coco beware. Uh, he's going to slide down the card for the rest of 1990 and into early 91, mainly working house shows. Uh, he's going to, uh, have some losses to Dustin Rhodes and Bret Hart and Jim Duggan. Does it feel like we're trying to find something for Lanny to do after the Mr. Perfect run? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, it's, it's, it's hard to come down from there. Uh, you're on top with the top guy and then all of a sudden you're not, you know, Bobby's moved in and it's, uh, okay. What do you do? Well, it goes back to work and that's where he started. So yeah, keeping him employed, keeping him going. Uh, let's mention that he has a match in March 27th, 1991 against Bret Hart. And then he's going to take essentially three months away. He's going to work as the genius gimmick in New Zealand for arena wrestling Alliance. He's even going to work in the UWF against Boris Zukov and Chicago's windy city wrestling against Ken Patera. This seems kind of weird. He's out of the family for a few months. What was going on with his contract and his status with the company at the time, as best you recall? God, I have no idea really and truly. I, I believe it was just one of those situations where, you know what, take some time away, go away, learn a new hold. And let's see if we can reinvent you when we come back and see what happens, but best out of sight, out of mind. It doesn't last long. He's uh, back in just a handful of months. Uh, he comes back in June actually. Uh, but he only wrestles a few matches in September of 91. He's going to take on managerial duties for the Beverly brothers. And he's occasionally going to team with them in six man tags against the Bushwhackers and Jim Neidhart. And as a reminder, this is not too terribly long after the Hart foundation split up. What did Lanny think of the transition to managing? And I, you know, look, Lanny was managing perfect. I, yeah, I wasn't there during this time, but I think that Lanny would look at it as I've got a gig. Yes. I've got a gig and I'm able to do something, you know, knowing him, he was just happy to work. And Hey, you know, I mean, it's funny. Lanny wasn't one of those people that wanted the, the free handout. Right. Lanny, Lanny wanted to work for his money. Lanny wanted to do something to be a part of something, no matter what it was. He's going to manage the uh, Beverly's uh, to a win over the Bushwhackers at the 92 rumble. And then manage them against the natural disasters at SummerSlam 92. But of course they're unsuccessful to gain that tag team gold. Uh, perhaps their biggest moment as a trio is a six man match against the Legion of doom and Paul Ellering on an August 22nd episode of primetime wrestling. And the genius's last major appearance at a WWF pay-per-view was managing the Beverly brothers at the 92 survivor series. Uh, they're going to team with money Inc in a losing effort to the natural disasters, the nasty boys and the genius competes in his last singles match at a house show on November 8th. It's a loss to Virgil. Did it impact Randy when Lanny leaves the company here? I would say yes and no. I think that Randy kind of felt that there were a lot of other people that were working that Lanny was better than and why couldn't you make room for Lanny? But at the same time, Randy understood the business side of it. Like Lanny had been around for a while and 
was only so much you could do with him. So it was time. It was time for him to go. And who knows what the future holds. He could always come back and we could end up doing some things with him, but it wasn't. Randy got over it quick. You know, it wasn't something that Randy huffed and puffed about. It was, this is happening and here's why. And I think Randy understood. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. Let's talk about uh, what's next, of course. We know that Randy is maybe transitioning to be more of a color commentator and Lanny sort of took issue with the narrative that Randy wanted to do that. He did an interview where he said, quote, Randy's relegated to being the announcer and he's bored. He's noticing Shawn Michaels is emerging, not just as a tag team wrestler, but as the greatest talent in the business at that time. I remember he calls me at two in the morning and he says, can you find me some breakaway champagne bottles? His plan, his plan was to drink to Shawn Michaels career, pour him a glass. They would drink, they would toast. And then Randy would smash the bottle over Shawn's head, starting a two year feud, like the Hatfields and the McCoys ending at WrestleMania where Shawn loses his hair. If he loses the match and Randy retires to the announcing table, if he loses, they would have had the greatest match ever in the history of wrestling. And Randy retires. So what happens? Pat says, Randy, we're having a youth movement and the best thing you can do is stay on the microphone. That's when he decided to go to WCW. Randy had planned to pass the torch to Shawn Michaels and lose right in the middle of the ring. I got to admit, Bruce, I'd never heard that story before, but the way Lanny lays it out, that sounds exciting. I would have been with it. What do you remember of this idea? Well, uh, look, man, here's the thing. And I've said it a million times. Um, what Randy said to me, what Randy said to us, as far as Randy's career and Randy doing play-by-play on a weekly basis was the transition that Randy wanted to make. Randy did not want to work full-time anymore. Randy was done. He was like, I want to, I'm ready. Right. I want to make the transition. The transition was for Randy to then do color commentary. But Randy was also going to transition to come into the office with us and work with us on booking and writing television to help us with creative as well. Randy moved to Stanford, Connecticut, got an apartment in Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. Um, because again, Randy was looking to be a part, be a part of the, the creative with Pat and I and Vince and work with us and, maybe transition Pat out because Pat was getting ready to retire. So Randy, had he come to us and said, no, you know what? I feel like I've got two more years left and I want to work a program with Sean to know that we had Randy Savage to work another two years and possibly work with Sean. <clears throat> Never heard that. Never heard it. So maybe that was a late night phone call. I right. don't know. Wasn't there. 
So I have no idea what, what they shared between each other. Um, I never, I, I never heard that from Randy ever. And is that something that he might've come up with after the fact, after WCW, you know, brought Randy in is a, is an excuse to say, oh, I could have done this. I don't know. I really, you know, that I don't know. What I do know is the conversations I had with Randy, the conversations I was present for. And, and trust me, there were a lot of them. Right. About Randy, you know, wanting to make the transition. He was, he was done. Didn't want to be on the road. Every time that leading up to this before we would call Randy and say, Hey, I need you to, so-and-so is not going to be able to make it tonight. It's big house. Can you make this date? Oh, he's going to rely on the vets to come in and save the day. Um, I'm done. I don't want to do this all the time anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm not a full-time guy. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, those are the conversations I had with Randy that I can speak to, you know, back and forth with Randy. I never heard any conversation. I never heard any idea to work with Sean. Um, everything I heard was contrary to Randy being in the ring. Randy was to me done being in the ring. He, he had done it. He was like, time to move on. I want to, you know, I want to make my mark now over here on the other side. Did somebody get in his ear and say, Hey, Randy, man, you're too good for that. You know, you got, you got another, two years left in you. You got another four years left in you. Ah, Ted Turner recognizes that. I, I wasn't privy to those conversations either, so I don't know. But I could imagine those kind of conversations going on. They're misusing you. Oh, my God. You know, you've, you've got, you know, another run left at least. And I could see easily convincing Randy of that. So, again, I'm not privy to any conversations that Randy had with Lanny nor did he tell me of any conversations that he had with Lanny. I will tell you this, that in like the, the podcasts that we have done on Randy and the comments I've made about Randy in the past, Lanny called me and thanked me for giving an illustration of, of Randy in a positive light. Because frankly, 95% of my dealings with Randy, I thought were positive. And I, would look to dispel a lot of the things that I saw that just didn't add up with Randy. I saw how he treated Liz in private. I saw how he was in his home. I traveled with the guy. I had those heart to hearts with him, man, more than I can count. So, you know, Ray, uh, I beg your pardon. Lanny called me and said, Hey, thank you for that. Because so many people paint a picture of my brother that, you know, he was this misfit. I said, no, he wasn't. He says, no, I know. He goes, I always appreciate the way that you talk about Randy. And there was an opportunity because we had talked about this in our Randy episode. Right. And, you know, never, never once brought it up ever. And, you know, always thanked me for the way that uh, I've talked about Randy and in other interviews as well. I can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, 
Jacksonville, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa, right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town. And to visit rickflairwings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy hearing the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out rickflairwings.com to become a partner. Well, the genius pops back up randomly in 1994 to lose to Mabel at a house show in Richmond, Virginia. Man, why bring him back for just one shot? Why have him in the ring against Mabel? Who knows? <laughs> I, I had no idea unless it was just, you know, hey, let's him looking for a job and wanting to come in. And well, let's take a look at you and see how you look at a house show. Well, once he leaves the company officially, uh, he's going to wrestle for the next 27 years. He wrestles on the independent circuit and in Germany. Famously, he signs with WCW in 1995. As the story goes, Randy Savage, who's working on top of WCW cards at the time, had purchased the rights to the gorgeous George gimmick, if you will, and he offered it to Lanny. You see, if you're watching over at somethingtowrestle.com, on the right, the real deal, gorgeous George. And on the left, when his brother Lanny started dyeing his hair and trying to get ready to be gorgeous George, Lanny had this to say, Randy wanted me to be gorgeous George. I dyed my hair blonde and it started falling out. Instead of looking like gorgeous George, I looked like the scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. It just wasn't going to happen. It was another instance where my brother took care of me. Uh, Meltzer would say from 95 to 96, WCW paid Lanny Poffo a six figure contract while he was waiting or waiting for a phone call that never came. His contract was renewed over and over again from 95 to, uh, 1997 rather. He was never used. Eric Bischoff has said that Savage agreed to earn a hundred thousand dollars less. And that is why Poffo received his payments, even though he was never called to work. So year after year, he's waiting on the phone call that never came. Our pal Bischoff says it was part of the deal. Does that sound right to you? Seemed like something Randy would do. Try to take care of his brother. Yeah, yeah. it does. I, I could see Randy doing that. Absolutely. Do you remember hearing the news while you're, you know, working for the WWF that, Hey, Randy Savage bought the rights to the gorgeous George gimmick. Is that something you wish you could have done on your channel or no? Uh, not necessarily, but it, yeah, I mean, heard about it at, at one point, whenever he brought the girl in. Yeah. I guess we should mention ultimately the gimmick goes to Stephanie Bellers, who is, uh, going to be Savage's girlfriend in real life. And now she's part of the wrestling business. Uh, after Lanny's contract expired in 99, it's not renewed because, well, uh, the money situation has changed here in WCW. So he stays out of the ring until 2005, but between then and 2020, he would pop up for wrestle reunion in Tampa and work, uh, the great North wrestling, Ontario, Canada, and UCW, and even went to some ring of honor shows. And he had individual matches over in Poland and England. 
and he wrestled his last match January 29th, 2020, a six man tag up in New York. But along the way in 2015, he gets to give one heck of an induction speech when his brother, Randy is finally welcomed into the WWE hall of fame. Of course, it's a little bittersweet. The macho man had passed away four years prior, suffering a heart attack while driving and then crashing into a tree. Um, and there's been a lot made of that hall of fame induction. Lanny would say, quote, my brother's wishes were to go in as the Poffo family, Angelo, Randy, and Lanny. Nobody from WWE bid on that idea. Then I had an epiphany. I told my mom, I'm the older brother. Now I have to put Randy in the hall of fame. I didn't do it for the WWE. I didn't do it for the macho man. I did it for the fans. Without the fans, the sport doesn't exist. Without the fan, nobody exists. Randy's fans had suffered enough. I did it for the fans. I know you weren't with WWE in 2015, but I am curious. Had you heard the whole edict? We all go in together. Or is that something that was just within the Poffo family? I, again, I, I heard it after the fact. I don't know. I can't ever remember you know, hearing that beforehand. So, cause I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that would have, would have happened, but, uh, who's to say, I don't know. I'd never heard that till after the fact. Well, it happened in San Jose, California, March 28th, 2015. The person who's going to induct him is, uh, Hulk Hogan. Who else? And then Lanny took the stage to honor his brother with a poem. Bruce, you want to read this one for us? I stand before the Hall of Fame in honor of my brother, who sieged each carpe diem, day with passion like no other. Born Randy Mario Poffo, he became the Macho Man. Randy Savage made it cool to be a wrestling fan. His match with Ricky Steamboat in 1987 was on a scale from 1 to 10, much better than 11. He snapped into a Slim Jim with his iconic voice, he earned a role in Spider-Man, which made his fans rejoice. When the mega powers exploded, the storyline was real. Life's too short to hold a grudge. It's time for us to heal. In triumphant jubilation, we celebrate his name. Finally, the Macho Man is in the Hall of Fame. Pretty cool, man, to get inducted into the Hall of Fame and your brother do that. Pretty, pretty yep. fun deal. Pretty good stuff. In 2018, he authorized a biographical comic called the genius Lanny Poffo and started the short-lived genius cast over at uh, ProWrestlingStories.com. Lanny's intention, as he made it clear in the first episode was honoring his brother and correcting misinformation about the Poffo family that had circulated for years. He also set out to thank those that did justice to the family's legacy. Quote, there are some podcasts out there that do a very, very good job in remembering my brother, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, those people that knew Randy and actually told the truth about him. I'm very grateful to both of those guys. Lanny even commended your impression of Randy as one of the best, but ultimately he said the best macho man impression probably belonged to Jay lethal. You take issue with that? Jay Lethal's got a better macho man than you? Yeah, not better than me. 
<laughs> Certainly not better than Dan Soder. No, Dan Soder's the goat. I mean, when it comes to the actual voice, nobody does it better. No, don't get me wrong. Jay's got all the mannerisms, but boy, Dan's got the voice down. No, uh, Dan's got it. No doubt. When I did the when I did the Savage off with Dan in New York, and Dan opened his mouth, I went, "That's it. I'm done. Yeah. yeah, I'll just shut up. I'll go over here and do Dusty in the corner." We uh, we lost Lanny on at the very beginning of this month, and it's actually. February 2nd, 2023, just two days after he posted him uh, a photo of himself on Instagram at New York's Gershwin theater. He's there to see the musical wicked. And we all found out that he was no longer with us. Thanks to a tweet from his old pal, Jim Duggan, who wrote with a very, very heavy heart. I've been asked to let everyone know about the passing of our friend and colleague, Lanny Poffo, the genius. what did you think when you heard that Lanny was gone way too early? Uh, shocked. I mean, just, you know, shock is, is when those things hit you. It, it's, uh, you never expect them, but when you do expect them, they don't come. Um, it's, you know, just shock and sadness more than anything. And Lanny was one of those, and it's 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 funny. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, when I would go to conventions and signings and things of that nature, if Lanny was there, I would seek Lanny out, seek Duggan out, just to say hello, because those were two guys, just genuine people that were always great to reminisce with. And I enjoyed, uh, you know, I enjoyed Lanny. Lanny was was one of the good ones. And from time to time, I would call Lanny just to say hello and see how you're doing, man. Don't want anything. Don't need anything. Just call and say hello. And we called him one night, you know, looking for the authenticity of some savage stuff out there. Um but Lanny, you know, was one of those, one of those guys. Always pick up the phone. Always have a kind word, and was always nice to catch up with Lanny. And gone too soon. Gone too soon, indeed. We, um, I learned from reading that uh, my man had moved to Ecuador. I had yeah. no idea. Uh, we had him at the first star cast in Chicago in 2018, but I had no idea that he was in another corner of the world, Ecuador. How about that? I love it. Cause Randy, I mean, Randy, Lanny was one of those guys, man, that, uh, you know, people talk about it. I'm going to go get off the grid. I'm going to move to Costa Rica. I'm going to move to Ecuador. Yeah. Lanny just didn't talk about it. He just did it. Right. And, uh, you know, good for him. <laughs> you know what? Not too near future. I may do the same thing. Just go to Ecuador. Well, I hope you don't do it anytime soon. We got some big plans, but before we talk about those, I thought we should end with another poem. The last episode of the genius cast, Lanny talked about how he was trying to bring positivity to the world. And he wrote a nice little poem that I think is probably reflective of how Lanny saw the world. Bruce, let's, uh, let's wrap up Lanny here with a poem. Why don't you read this one? I don't know if I'd make it through it. 
you don't think you can take a stab at it? Yeah, last one was a little tough for me. I've searched for the definition of a little word called friend and looked through the dictionary where the F's began and end. I agree with Noah Webster and all he has to say, but this is how I'd put it if I ever had my way. A friend is a God-given blessing, as rare as a precious stone, who loves you not for your riches, but just for yourself alone. He's the one who shares in your laughter and in sadness spurs you on. He's the guy who sticks like plaster when the rest have turned and gone. He'll give you faith when it's lacking and the courage to forge ahead and the reason to go on living when sometimes you wish you were dead. Your acquaintances may be many as you near life's journey's end, but it's a paltry number who could stand the test of a friend. And since I have no gold to give, it's love alone that must make amends. And all I ask is while I live, God make me worthy of my friends. That was pretty awesome. Very. That sums it up. Lanny Poffo, man, gone way, way, way too soon. I, uh, I'm glad we got to celebrate his memory today. We do have a handful of fan questions I want to rifle through, but I hope, Come on. I hope everybody will go check out some of those fun genius moments. Ah, uh, John, they were. John wants to know where did Lanny get his Frisbees? Uh, Lanny's Frisbees are us. No, just Lanny's Frisbees. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Ari Rosenbaum wants to know. <laughs> Why was Lanny phased out? It was a place in Singapore. Lanny's Frisbee show. Yeah. Buy him in bulk. Sure. He had to. Yeah. Had to. Uh, Ari wants to know, why was Lanny phased out in favor of the brain as Mr. Perfect second? Uh, I think that, you know, at that point, we'd kind of done all we had or really could do with the genius and perfect and looking to do something different with perfect. Generic. Gennaro wants to know, who do you think he had the best chemistry with as a manager? Perfect. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, perfect by far. Uh, and again, it was just, it was, Lanny embraced that role. Lanny was, you know, in, in, in many ways, you know, the straight man in that in that regard. But yet, Kurt was the straight man. You know what I mean? Yes. It was, they were a good pair. Plating the dragon says, who did Lanny like in the locker room and who did he not like? What did the other guys think of him? Did he travel with his brother during his time in the WWF? Did Vince ever consider them in a program against each other? So lots of questions here from, uh, from plating the dragon. Who did he travel with? There's a limit. Just one question. Uh, who did he travel uh, with? early on? He always traveled with Randy and Liz later that changed. Then, yeah. Later that changed, you know, and, uh, he and Duggan were friends, but, uh, but Lanny was one of those guys, I think that was universally liked. Yeah. So that's, uh, but, uh, he and Duggan were friends. I mean, a lot of guys just popular, popular person. Great question here from Brad. He says at around the same time, Steve Lombardi and Lanny Poffo both got new gimmicks and a renewed television push with the Brooklyn brawler and the genius. 
Was this just a coincidence or was there a directive to create something for these guys who had been good utility players on TV for years? Purely a coincidence. Okay. Purely coincidence. Uh, here's another. Did Randy or Lanny ever ask to be put in, put together as a tag team or at the very least have an affiliation? Now you told us that you don't think Randy was into it. Do you think Lanny would have been into it? I think Lanny would have been into anything, but I also think that uh, Lanny respected Randy and Randy's role in the company and, and everything that Randy had done and kind of got the feeling that, you know, he knew what that answer would be and that Randy probably wouldn't have wanted to do that. Uh, last one here from Mr. Cherry. Did y'all ever direct or ask certain things in his poems or was that all him? Secondly, if you could fantasy rebook him in a mid eighties tag team, would it be with Randy or someone else who would have been a good partner for a baby face Lanny? Marty Jannetty would have been a great partner for him. He was a great partner for everybody. Right. And I, I, I do. I think he would have been a great partner for Lanny. Yeah. And Lanny wrote all of his poems. Um, God, I don't even think he used to run them by us. Wow. That's awesome. He just had that trust there and, and took his word for it. A lot of times they were pretty bad. Listen, it feels like it's in uh, poor taste to discuss. So I'm going to talk in code today. Uh, there's a famous rumor out there. Yeah, I'm not going to touch it. I'm saying he always denied it. Uh, did you ever see such a rumor? Nope. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I think it's a short list of folks who did, but that, that rumor certainly followed him around. Fair to say. Yeah, yes. Next week, after a slight delay, we'll have uh, Ken Shamrock's end in the WWF. Also upcoming, we got Victory Road 2011 when Sting and Jeff Hardy had their match. Uh, we'll also talk about Steve Austin's run between 2000 and 2001. We'll be talking about WrestleMania 24 with Edge and The Undertaker, and of course, Ric Flair's last match against Shawn Michaels. And that's the show where Floyd Mayweather came into the company to work against big show. You get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. And there you'll see an exclusive interview with Gary Juster, a name you've probably heard a lot on our podcast, but how many Gary Juster interviews have you heard? We got one of the only ones available over at adfreeshows.com. We also sat down with a member of wrestling royalty, David Crockett. As we discuss the genius ideas of Dusty Rhodes and the perfect penmanship of JJ Dillon, all from his brother's books, as we break down 1985. January's already posted. We're posting February now, and March is in the can. We're going episodically month by month through a program we call The Book. And by the way, if your business targets 25 to 54 year old men, there's no better place to advertise than right here on Something to Wrestle With. You've heard us do ads for some of the same companies for years. Why is that? Well, because it works with our super targeted audience. There's very little waste. Go to advertisewithbruce.com now and find out more about advertising with something to wrestle with. I would love to have your interactions. If you've got questions uh, about Ken Shamrock or anything else, it's at Pritchard show on Twitter and Instagram, something to wrestle over on Facebook. And the best way to support the show is one of these two. Go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button at something to wrestle.com and check out all of our new merch and swag over at something to wrestle shirts.com for brother loves endless love line t-shirt 
just in time for Valentine's day, boys and girls, check it out. Something to wrestle shirts.com. Bruce, this was a fun episode. I love our profile episodes where we get to talk about somebody's career in long form. Any final thoughts or words you want to share with us about the late, great Lanny Poffo? You know, uh, Hey, the business lost another brother. And but more importantly, you know, Lanny's father, uh, Lanny's family yeah. uh, lost, lost father and, and husband. And uh, to them, our condolences. And again, it's always, you know, it's hard and it, it realize, makes me realize I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm getting old, man. And uh, just never easy. So um, Godspeed, Lanny, and uh, see you on the other side. And we'll see you guys next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on. Hey everybody. This is Dan Bespris host of fantasy NBA today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities players to stash schedule analysis and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces catch the fantasy nba today podcast part of the believe network on youtube or wherever you listen